Vintage Sand. Hello, 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 Vintage Sand fans. We are back. None the worse for wear. It's Team Vintage Sand. That would be all-inclusive. Our good friend Michael Edmonds. Say hi to the nice people, Mikey. Hi, nice people. See, nice people. We haven't trained so well, don't we? <laughs> Stop pulling that string. Right, no, exactly. He's become so sociable lately. Uh, the legendary John Meyer. It's time to get rid of the leash, though. All right, yeah, well... I agree. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it, it kind of works, and uh, it's... It's useful. And uh, your humble narrator, of course, Josh Cabot. And we are back. It is August. The heat wave is just breaking, so we are very happy. We're so happy to be back with episode 32. Holy moly, guys. How did that happen? Remember, it was just a dream in a Chinese restaurant a couple that's of years right. ago. Three, three years ago. That's right. I said three it would years. never work. They said, <laughs> well, they all laughed at Christopher Columbus. Now they've canceled him. So there you go. <laughs> That's a that's a life. So it's another is, podcast. It is. That's a whole other podcast and a half. So we are here um, in Vintage Sand Studios North for a change. Maybe a little echoey, but we're hoping not. Um, for um, episode thirty-two, uh, which uh, I have boldly named after Simone Signore's. Uh, Autobiography, nostalgia isn't what it used to be. A great book. Is not a great line, and that's going to come up later. Love the line. Because we know what you're. When you're sitting at home thinking, "My God, these guys are geniuses. How do you know so much about movies and yet remain so humble?" Yeah, exactly. And the fact is, I don't know anything about anything else. Well, that's true. (laughs) And the fact, well, you know a little bit about theater, Michael, from Mm, what I've seen. Yeah, that's true. Um, And uh, the fact is, of course, we watch a ton of movies, no doubt. But it's also no doubt that a lot of the knowledge that all of us have acquired about film over the years has come from books, from all kinds of different books. And we thought as like a short little hors d'oeuvre, hopefully shorter than our usual hour and a half episode, (laughs) that we would talk to you um, about our favorite film books. And what inspired this, I just read a book that came out, The Twelve Lives of Alfred Hitchcock by Edward White. Um, and as you guys were saying before, most recent Hitchcock books are pretty terrible. Yes. This one talks about the fact that in all the interviews and everything he talked about, Hitchcock never talked about the First World War, which is insane because he lived in London. He was 14 or 15 years old when it started. That's right. And the point that White makes is that there was, if you know anything about the history of, the, of that war, there was the beginnings, nothing like 1940, of course, but there were the beginnings of the Germans would fly Zeppelins over and drop, yeah. and drop bombs. Yes. And about a thousand people over the course of the war were killed in London. And White says, where do you think this theme of the sudden eruption of chaos, out of order, that is the theme of just like every Hitchcock film, mm-hmm. comes from? And isn't it odd that he doesn't mention the First World War and his experiences there? He was a teenager. It must yeah. have left a huge impression. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing that I would never have thought of on my own. And I am, as you guys know, frequent listeners, I'm World War I geek. And putting those two things together, it's like, of course, that's why chaos suddenly explodes in Hitchcock. Explains a lot about birds. It, yeah. About the birds, about turning around when someone calls George Kaplan, yeah. about, you know, you're a musician at the store club and you're arrested because you look like somebody. It's, you know, it's about bumping into someone's shoes on the train and it's the wrong guy. Right. It's your normal life rolling along and then boom, 
literally boom, which Hitchcock must have experienced as a teenager growing up in London with the, the fear, even worse than the actual bombing itself because it was so minimal, but just the fear of those bombs dropping, of, you know, and just being on your street and then boom, that's Hitchcock. Yeah, and I've always felt that most of the interviews of Hitchcock he doesn't reveal, he covers up. Yes. yes. Right. Especially the Truffaut book. Although, oh, of course, oh that's going to be on Truffaut, Truffaut sounds like an idiot in that. Yeah, well, mean, or a toady. Yeah. Let's, I mean, I, as yeah. much as I love him. He was yeah. not an idiot. He was, though, yeah. definitely in awe. He was deferential. Yes. yes. Um, and so what what we always try to do on Vintage Stand, and I got the nicest compliment. Um, John, maybe you passed it. Someone passed it on to me. Someone said that listening to this podcast was like being in a diner and being, right, that's what you said, yeah. And that people in the booth next to you are talk, or behind you are talking about movies and you're overhearing it. That's what we want. We want to open doors. We've always said from the beginning that we are not film critics. We are not film makers. We are not <laughs> film experts in any way. We're just over enthusiastic fans. And so we really want to open some doors today and we'll hope you come away from this episode with a, a solid list of books that will help you know, help grow your own film knowledge as you keep on watching more. The only thing we're excluding, we've broken it down into categories, the only thing where I was going to exclude fiction. Like oh. I wasn't going to include um, Day of the Locust no, no. Or, uh, or Terry Southern's Blue Movie or things no, like no, that. No, 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 no. There are great books, fictional novels about Hollywood. Uh, Fitzgerald's uh, Last Tycoon, yeah. which was unfinished, but, right. uh, but worth reading. Yeah, it's, like, still, those, it's still worth reading. Those are worthwhile. So let's begin then with category one, which is sort of the general film history, theory, reference books. And I think we're all in agreement that, uh, that this begins and in some sense ends with David Thompson. So what's, well, what's, what's your Thompson book, John? Oh, the, the Biographical Film Dictionary, which yeah. is it's addictive. It, it's, it's a fun, fun read, but also you'll get a little taste of the person's career, a little background about the person, but then he'll go into analyzing some of the movies. That person, if it's an actor, he'll give you sort of an overview of the career, and he's very opinionated. Huh? I don't always agree well, with that. Well, it's the most subjective, objective reference book yeah. there is. Oh, yes. That's yes. why I that's, a, it. that's yeah. an excellent way to Has put it. Has it been updated lately? Yeah. Uh, oh, well, he comes out with a, a new edition ago. every yeah. few years. Okay, because yeah. uh, mine is very old and crumbling. Oh, you need to get a new one. Yeah, I think so. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and there are other reference books like Ephraim Katz's Film Encyclopedia, but, you know, with IMDb and the other websites out there, it's almost obsolete. Well, the, uh, there's the David Cook book, A History of Narrative Film. Yes, History of Narrative Film is great. Which is very good. Very good. And uh, another a book that I love is called Understanding Movies by Louis Gianetti. And it each Wasn't chapter... Wasn't it a textbook? It, yeah, but I mean, I have a paperback version, and I, it's funny, it's still available. There was a new... In fact, I want to get the it's a new... It's in print. Yeah, I, huh? apparently it's still in print. I want to get into the new edition, because he added a chapter that's devoted completely to Citizen Kane. Nice. So, uh, but he... Each chapter is devoted to a different aspect of filmmaking. For example, cinematography or editing or, say, art direction. He has a chapter on film acting, and he has a chapter on that's more literary, that's about screenwriting. Uh, it's, it's a great book, because also all the pictures in the book uh, always are an example of what he's been talking about and then he'll list various references too, like oh, go to you know such and such book if you want to read more about 
this. It's it's an excellent book. And I also, if you, if anyone's an English teacher or a film teacher who's listening, I strongly recommend James Monaco's How to Read a Film. Uh, I'm teaching oh, my yeah. I'm teaching my film class this year, guys. For the first time in 12 years, I'm teaching a high, my high school film class. I'm so excited. And I don't use a textbook, but if I did, that would be the one. I use Monaco's How to Read a Film. Um, I also recommend, um, it was originally, at, I, again, I, I had the great fortune of st taking only two film classes in my life, but one was with Andrew Saris, the great American critic for The Village Voice, um, and his book, The American Cinema, originally published in 68, is still absolutely essential. It brought the auteur theory here to America. But the other one I took was with Jerry Mast at University of Chicago, and he was originally one of the editors of uh, an anthology called Film Theory and Criticism, the latest edition of which is um, uh, edited by Leo Brody and Marshall Cohen. Oh, I oh yeah, 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 right? I cannot yeah. recommend that enough. All the great ideas. Andre Bazin, there he is. Sergei Eisenstein on right. editing, there he is. All the great theoretical all the great filmmakers talking about how they do what right. they do. It's all in that anthology. Is that, so, is that currently in print? It is. So if oh, you have yeah. to buy, two, if you, you start with two books, definitely Thompson's Biographical Dictionary oh, of yeah. Film and uh, uh, edited by Brody and Cohen, Film Theory and Criticism. I would also recommend uh, Thompson's, um, this one, the subject of him, uh, 101, 1001 movies you have to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and... Some of them are movies he doesn't like. Like he's very blunt about not liking Woody Allen, and the only movies yeah, he doesn't like Woody Allen. And the only movies he reviews are Annie Hall and Crimes and Misdemeanors. And oh, he, and he and hates he, Kubrick too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. He does. Big, big Kubrick. It's hater. funny that one Kubrick movie he seems to kind of like Shining. is The Shining. Yeah, he loves The Shining. Have you ever read Suspects? No, but I remember. Oh my God, I love that book. Yeah, Suspects. It doesn't, about it doesn't belong here. He he tells short stories about film noir characters who interact with characters from other movies and real life people. And in the end, it's a big reveal about who the narrator is. It's brilliant. I'm not sure it's still in print. Suspects, also by David Thompson. Um, what about um, individual critics? Who are your favorite um, critics to read? I mean, are you guys Pauline Kael people? I am. Because she writes so brilliant, right? And I don't, I, do, I don't agree with her much. I don't. Yeah, ag well, I, I agree I'm, with her part yeah. of the time. Uh, I like her love of uh, Brian De Palma confuses me <laughs> to no end. Um, History has proven her wrong on that one. I think. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, if you had to recommend one Kale book, would it be I Lost It at the Movies or the Kane book? I, I, oh, no, not the not Kane the book. Kane book. No. <laughs> no, no, the Kane Again, book. Totally that would wrong. Nightmares. Totally Kane, wrong. The Kane book, I wanted to hit her. Um, no, I'm sorry, I should not say that. <laughs> but <laughs> she is no longer with us. I, I'm, I can't help but think that part of her motivation to write the Kane book was her dislike for Andrew Saris. Yes, oh my god, we ought to talk here about <laughs> yeah. how much Saris and Kale, Saris would walk into class. I would say I lost it at the movies. That was yeah. the first one I read, but I've read all of them, and I think you can get every, you can get now comp, uh, parts of all of her books in one uh, volume. Do you guys know Jonathan Rosenbaum? The guy who wrote for the Chicago Reader and now has his own website. He is brilliant. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've read he is yeah. so smart and so interesting and quirky. And any person whose favorite film in the world is Jacques Tati's Playtime is okay in my book. So um, he, if you want to read the one Rosenbaum book to sort of get a sense of him, Essential Cinema 
is his book. And that's Stanley the, Kaufman. Has, Kaufman's yeah, great. Yeah. Yes. Kaufman yeah. is great. Um, James Agee, Agee on film. Oh, yeah. Is, wow, it, absolutely. That's, listen, Agee was the only person who liked Monsieur Verdoux, which is actually a film oh, that I, I, I love. I love, love that movie. Everybody yeah. hated it. You're kidding. When it came out? Yeah. Everybody hated it. It was nominated it. for Best Screenplay. Yeah, but, oh, but my God, everyone, Chaplin's turned into a monster, and, yeah. you know, this is yeah. his first post Tramp film and it, he's a murderer. Well, I'm going to say something controversial. Then it's my favorite Chaplin movie. <laughs> I I'll still take Modern Times and City Lights, but Monsieur Verdoux is brilliant. Oh. And Ag was the only. I mean, the Times, all the you know, all the Bosley really? Crowther and all those people. Well, Crowther it. was such a little old lady. Ag, I'm sorry, <laughs> that's the only way to describe. Yeah, well, Warren yeah, Beatty how, basically how, finished how, him with Bonnie uh, and Clyde. Yeah, yeah, how did he describe Bonnie and Clyde? Oh, uh, there was a. I'm trying to remember that line. I'm gonna have to look it up. It's well, you could probably see it in um, pictures at a crossroads because <laughs> they go into detail. Mm. And I think uh, as we end this sort of general uh, film knowledge section, we have to talk about the guy who's inspired so many of our episodes, uh, Danny Peary. Um, yeah, cult, we're going to talk about cult, cult movies. Cult movies is it's a really, really fun book. And it's kind of funny because since that's come out, some of the movies in there are, are have become more mainstream. Yes. Um, but but uh, the writing is really good. It's, I mean, they're not, it's not a silly book at all. He's, he analyzes and talks about the movies. It's very, very smart. There are three of them, right? I think there are three volumes. Yeah, I, I, think, yeah. I think he came. He did come out with other editions. Uh, I think the next one was called More Cult Movies or something like that. Or Cult Movies 2 or yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> something clever like I, that. I, I forget. But, um, but and also the, the choice of movies is very, very varied. Yeah, from, from you know... Eraserhead well, well to regarded, the searchers. Right. Well-regarded <laughs> masterpieces to little cult films yeah. like, you know... But, uh, but I understand why when I first read it, he had the searchers in there because at the time it was hard to see. It was it rarely had shown. No, it's hard to imagine people, now, A lot of right? people were not familiar with I, it. At as all. a kid, I don't recall ever seeing it on television. Yeah I, yeah, I don't either. And it was my father who first told me about it because... He saw it when it first came out, and when he was on a business trip, he just went to the movies one time, and he, he said, oh, they never show the searchers. I said, what's that? And he started telling me, he said, it's a great movie. He said, you have to see it. It's like, but it never shows. <laughs> wow. It's a, well, that, it's so fascinating to track the, the changes in taste over the years. But, of course, the other period book that we love, because we based, what, three episodes on it, and we're going to base our October episode on it, as well as the alter Alternative Oscars mm -hmm. book, where he goes through every year from 28 to, I think, Silence of the Lambs in 91, and talks about what won and what should have won and why, and it's, uh, it's a one, that's a wonderful it's book. It's a fun book. He doesn't write books, and he's got a website, but that's Danny Peary, P-E-A-R-Y, so hopefully, you know, those, those are your basic introductory... He, yeah, he has a lot of different interests. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Well, that would explain it then. Yeah. No. He's no. he he's all over the place in the best possible way, though. And I always like his writing. It's he's also a big New York Giants fan, so I like him. <laughs> Why, when I'm having such a good time, you have to bring up football? <laughs> said sorry. the Jets fan. I'm sorry. Yep. We swore we weren't going to get season's tickets, and for the 57th year of Vintage Sand People, so you're probably turning off right now. So why am I listening to someone who's been going to Jets games since 1971 and paying for it? So yeah, I would totally understand if you turned us off right and then, then and there. No, I don't think so. I also want to mention two books by directors that sort of talk about film in general. Um, uh, well, first of all, 
you have to talk about what is cinema. Andre Bazin's two-volume yes. What is Cinema, yes. because fr- that's where film criticism is really born. I mean, and you know, age. Whether or not you agree with him, I mean... But uh, those are the principles on which yeah. he founded Calle du Cinema. Those yeah. are the principles on which Truffaut and Godard and the New Waivers made their films, so, you know, nothing without... And there's a wonderful anthology uh, edited by a guy named Jim Hillier called Calle du Cinema in the 1950s, which is all the best writing by Truffaut, Godard, Romer Chabral, right. Demi, all those guys. So I really recommend those. Um, Sergei Eisenstein's Film Sense... Oh, yeah. I mean, my God. It's still the best book ever written about editing, and it was published in the 20s. That's that's a must. That is a must. And and there are two other books that are pretty good about editing, which is the Ralph Rosenblum book, uh, When the Shooting Stops, the Cutting Begins. Oh, I don't know that one. Yeah. 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 I learned something on Vinci Sand. There's a a lot from Ray Allen. Yeah, and there's a book by Walter Murch and Francis Ford Coppola in The Blink of an Eye. Oh. I'm not familiar with that. Is that about editing... Uh, apocalypse or the things they worked on together or yeah. Yeah. oh interesting, interesting. Yeah. there's also a book uh, that's interviews with Walter Murch uh, that's I have not read but I've heard it's good alright so there you go uh, and, and I have to mention Robert Brisson's notes on the kinematograph which is very arcane and obscure but if you love Brisson and Brisson is hard to love, but once you do, you never you never fall out of love. Yeah, he's, and uh, he's kind he's of not, a, he's not for everybody, but uh, he's, and it's not he's, like he's a great director. If you're a budding filmmaker, it's not like you're going to read the Brisson book and say, okay, this is how I'm going to make my films. I don't think anyone else can make films like Brisson did, yeah. no. especially these days. And maybe no, maybe. no, no. <laughs> no, I agree with you. But that's a subject for a for we'll do a director study on Brisson at some point. You know, if we're really like depressed and it's winter, and you know we have to sell the donkey to somebody, and uh, you know, oh my, nice happy yes, nice happy or get stuff. get thrown in jail for a crime we didn't commit. Yeah, or that, or escape from a prison to Mozart. Yeah, I mean, you know, amazing stuff. So, number uh, category number two: studies of individual directors. Ah, well. Um So. Michael, let's start with you. Where do you go with that? Uh, well, uh, I would agree with you on um, Eric Romer and, and Klaus Schabral's Hitchcock. My only problem with that is that it, it, it was written in 57, True. so it was right it was before, before Vertigo. Vertigo. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm such a fan of both of them as filmmakers yep. anyway. I, I, I think it's the first great book written about one director. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then you have to, as uh, much as I hate to do it, because frequent listeners know how much I hate him, but Peter Bogdanovich's books on Ford and Wells were really oh, yeah. the first. I guess, although, boy, I hear, I have not read uh, uh, Bogdanovich's book on Ford. And one it's, of the reasons. It's wonderful. I, I hate to say it. Is because every time I hear Bogdanovich interview, <laughs> he always goes on about how John Ford had to talk. Ben Johnson in the doing the last picture show because Ben Johnson thought the script was too dirty. Which, I'm sorry, it's gotta be a crap. A total crap. Ben Johnson had just finished shooting the Wild Bunch for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, sakes. exactly. Well, and, and you know, my, 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 my thing with Bogdanovich is the first names. So, you know, I remember when I had lunch with Orson and yeah. Orson well, said, he really, well, he was, but he, I was, know he, was. he really was good friends with Orson. Orson Welles lived in his house for a while. Yeah, no, and he was one of the few people who actually you supported. Actually, if you listen to one of the podcasts, he talks about how 
Orson Welles kept stealing all the ice cream. Well, that <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. That does sound about right. So, my, my favorite book about an individual director is The Art of Alfred Hitchcock by Spoto. Donald Spoto. Yep. And what I, I, this book made me look not just at Hitchcock films differently, but all films differently because he yep. really stresses the whole concept of form and content about using the camera and other aspects of filmmaking to express theme and characterization and subtext. And after really discovering all of that and, and reading the whole book, I was like, oh my God. And I started looking at movies much differently. And then I, I would see different directors like, you know, make a showy camera movements like, well, what's that supposed to mean? Right, why, are you, just, doing why are you doing that? No, how do you feel about Spoto's The Dark Side of Genius? That's that's mine. I love that, even though it's kind of a mix of gossipy. It is. But yeah. I must have read it 30 times in college um, really? when I started to really get into film. And it just and at least he owns up to his uh, trying to cover for it, the technical deficiencies of Marnie yeah. in the well, Art of I'll, Alfred I wonder, Hitchcock. Well, I, yeah, we don't know how much he knew or didn't know at the well, time. Well, when he wrote Art of in 76, he thought that, uh, that the cheap set and everything were just yeah, it was, it, expressionistic. It was expressionism. Yeah. Right. Whereas by you know by the time he wrote Dark Side of Genius, we kind of knew a little bit more about what had happened yeah. with Tippi Hedren and why he. I always, I'm not skeptical about what happened with Tippi Hedren, and we've got you know, he said, she said. But mm. one of the things she always complains about was how Hitchcock blackballed her, and that she couldn't work after Marty, and that's simply not true. She worked constantly. Here? In, yes, in Hollywood? Yes, but they weren't A films. Mm. They were TV films. They were films where she constantly worked. Guys, let's be honest with you. Tippi Hedren's not that great of an actor. No, but, exactly. but I'll tell you, every time I go back to The Birds and Marnie, I'm surprised by how good she is. She's not amazing. She's not Grace Kelly I, in Rare Window, I, but she's, she's pretty I good. I think one of the problems with Marnie, frankly, is her. I don't think she she was, she was a limited actress. There's like there's a moment, for example, in when the she birds, shoots the horse in the morning. Well, well, I was gonna say in the birds, for example, where she talks about her mother. And if it was a better actress, the camera probably would have stayed on her face yeah. and said Hitchcock has her step away and turn away, which is something he used several times before because he would he would learn the limitations of an actor and, I think and that's a way like, to get away with it it's if it works well in there yeah well, I, I think, think she's limited you're the only thing i ever did love <laughs> <laughs> hurting my knee marty hurt my knee marty i actually met her i, I met her once. you met louise Latham? yes that's and okay. i asked I, I was just in the lobby of a theater she was by herself and i went up to her and i just said hello i love you and marnie and uh she did not want to talk about it. Interesting. She, Interesting. I don't think she was a fan of that film. Well, if we're going to drop names, I had lunch with Tippi Hedren, so what? let's move on. Yes, Wait, let's, let's not go there anymore. Oh, okay? that's, a, that's two other episodes. <laughs> yeah. Wait a that's minute. it. I'm not saying anything more. Oh, okay. No, that, I didn't even know that. I've known you for 35 years. I didn't know that. Well, yeah. my meeting with Louise Latham was like 30 seconds, so. <laughs> All right. Um, um, we also have to throw in Robin Wood, right? Yes, yes yeah. that is an excellent book. Hitchcock's films. Excellent book. And yeah. he doesn't do all the movies, he only does a few, but especially the chapter in Vertigo is great. What's really weird though, he then did a book on Howard Hawks and... Not as good. It's, well, it's just like, I think you're reading too much into it, Mr. Wood. No. <laughs> well, and especially because and Hawks would have probably killed him because Hawks, you know, did not want to uh, be 
Yeah. Every, you know, he always said that if you see me directing, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. Because he yeah. was always in the service of the story. I'm going to throw in a couple of books that are hard to track down but worth it. They're out of print, but you can find them. University of California at Berkeley did a really interesting series in the, um, in the early 70s. Uh, and two of those books, Lottie Eyes, you, can you believe, you know, I would put Murnau up among the greatest directors of all time, especially for terms of pure camera. Mm -hmm. There is one biography of Murnau in existence, in English, maybe in German, but, and, and it's by Lottie Eisner, who wrote uh, The Haunted Screen, which is also part of that series, which is still the best book about German expressionism, I think. So, and also in that series is the only book I've ever seen about Jean Vigo by uh, Salas Gomez. Uh, that's just called Vigo. Uh, yeah, they're hard to track down, but both uh, both worth it. Did you guys read Conversations with Wilder? Absolutely. I yeah. have it. The uh, yes. Cameron yeah. Crowe. I did. I liked yeah. it very much. I, I, I liked it. And we didn't even mention Hitchcock Truffaut, but except at the beginning. Like, yeah. I don't think the book's very good. No, and, you don't, you don't and, learn and too I've much. And I've never quite understood why it got so much attention. Because it was because of them. I guess. I and I'll close this section with um, something by Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader's PhD thesis is one of the, it's a very difficult academic and challenging book, but it opened my eyes and helped, it, it's called Transcendental Style in Film. And it's about Ozu, Brisson, and Carl Oh, yeah, oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Which I am comparing the three of them. Yeah, I read I read that a long time ago. Yeah, that's really wonderful good. book. Yeah, wonderful book. Difficult, as I said, very academically yeah. oriented. But yes. as long as we're on directors, uh, there's one I want to mention. Go, go, go. By my current my current favorite writer, Mark Harris, on film, and it's uh, Five Came Five Back. Five Came Back. Yes, indeed. Story of Hollywood in the Second World War and how it affected Frank Capra, John Ford, John Huston, George Stevens, and William Wyler. And for those people who don't want to read, there's also a three-part documentary yeah, on Netflix. On, yeah, and, that, and that's excellent. And, and also, Netflix has the some of the films that they made yeah. to watch. Yeah. yeah. Although I must warn anyone, if you haven't seen the, the one George about the, the concentration yeah, camp. Yeah, that one uh, I have. But if you have not seen those, that's, it's an absolute must to see those. It is. But it's... That's, you've got to have yeah. a strong... That's harder than yeah. Night and Fog? Yeah. Yeah, and and it permanently changed George Stevens. Yeah, as yeah. a director, he just well, they were they were all changed. They were but all I changed, think, but I think, particularly, but Stevens. understandably, he was he was changed the most. Yeah. yeah. So now, exit question on this category: Have you guys found a decent book about a really good book about Wells? I know Simon Callow is working on that three-part biography. Yeah, I read the first one. It wasn't. Yeah, I know. I read Barbara Leeming's book, which came out around the time yeah. Wells died in '85. Yeah, was, well, I, I liked it. I, I, okay. It was not a great book. I, I haven't. I haven't found a really good book that really analyzes the films themselves. Exactly. You know, it's. I guess maybe they figured his life was more colorful than the movies. So. Which is unfortunate. And the same thing. About Kubrick. I've yet to find a really good book about Stanley Kubrick and his films. Uh, the best I've seen is just called Kubrick. It's by <laughs> Michel Simon, but um, it's not very good. Nice illustrations, but um, have you guys read a good Kubrick book? No, but when we get into um, biographies, I do want to talk about 
one of the best insights into Kubrick. And we'll, we'll, we'll get into that a little later. All right, outstanding. Um, very quickly, our third category, just, just to run through quickly, is representation, because that is such an important idea these days, and it's interesting. I was saying I haven't taught my film class in 12 years. I'm going to have to teach it very differently, because, you know, not surprisingly, on my original syllabus, which is basically American film, just about everybody's a white man. And, you know, I need to deal in one way or another with other voices. And so some of the best books to read on that, still Molly Haskell, uh, From Reverence to Rape, that is, yeah, is still probably the best book, even though it's fairly old, about the representation of women in classic Hollywood cinema. Vito Russo's The Celluloid Closet. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is the first and right. still one of the best books about right. homosexuality in um, Hollywood it's film. beautiful and heartbreaking at the same time. And I strongly recommend um, a book called Black American Cinema, which is edited by Manthea Diawara, uh, which has some great essays, and anything by Donald Bogle, B-O-G-L-E, any of the books he wrote about African-American cinema, going all the way from Oscar Michal all the way up to the 70s and 80s, all very worthwhile. Anything else to add? I've yet to read a really good book on Asian or Latinx uh, representation. I, yeah, I haven't either. Um, Peter Fung wrote a book called uh, uh, Identities in Motion, which I've heard is good. I haven't read it myself, but that approaches the Asian. If you really want to understand the Asian experience through media, read Charles Yu's novel, Interior Chinatown. It's the best thing I've read this year. It's absolutely brilliant. All right, genre studies, category four. Um, my ex-professor from University of Chicago, Jerry Mast, wrote, which I think is still the best book on silent comedy, called The Comic Mind, which is, of course, it's about Chaplin, Keaton, and Lloyd, but it's also about the lesser, you know, Harry Langdon, and, uh -huh. um, and, and even up to Jacques Tati and other people who dabbled in silent comedy through the 40s, 50s, 60s. That's a lovely book. And I already had mentioned The Haunted Screen by Lottie Eisner, which is still, I think, the best single volume study of German Expressionism. Any genre books? Any books on noir or? There are a lot of books on noir. That um, stayed with you? Nothing I can think I read, of. Foster yes. Hirsch wrote a book called The Dark Side of the Screen. That is a very good overview. Not too deep, but it's a good overview of Noir 1.0. I have to say, and this is... Doesn't you know, I, as far as myself, I've always kind of concentrated on reading books that either were... I mean, there really, unfortunately, there really are very, very few really good biographies mm. of either directors or, or actors. They usually tend to stress the gossipy kind mm -hmm. of stuff. But I generally was drawn towards books about directors that were more analytically oriented, dealing with the movies. And there really aren't that many really good ones of those, are they? No, no. But the ones that are good can be really... I, I mean, think it depends on the writer. Right. I mean, Thompson... Well, yeah, oh, definitely, Thompson, definitely. David Thompson has opened more doors for me in terms of my understanding and appreciation. And Spoto, as you say, John, me yeah. too. Um, and I've got to say, and I've, I said it on a previous broadcast... Mark Harris, again, Yes. this biography of Mike Nichols. Now, Mike Nichols is half movies, half theater, yeah. and he does it all. Harris does it all, rather yeah. dispassionately, very, and, and you, everything you ever want to know about Mike Nichols is in that book. Yes, there is some gossip, but it doesn't come off as gossip, yeah. because he talked to everybody. Well, it's different when you're talking about how, you know, a person's private life affected their art. Right. That's where it gets interesting yeah, that's, and speculative. That's, which is something that the dark side of genius, that's right. photo book, that's what that's about. Yeah. Uh, but mm -hmm. then you have something like 
the Shelley Winters books. Oh, I'm, which I'm bringing up. <laughs> I'm bringing up because I think that is, that is actually the best. Well, they're fun. They're a little more than fun. I mean, but uh, I really got a sense of Kubrick by reading her book. Oh, okay. Oh, I from, see what you uh, from Lolita. Yeah. yeah. From Lolita, because she really, really talked in, in, uh, in depth about her work on that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, yet, when the book came out, all people were talking about was all the affairs that she, yeah. she talked about. And that's, which what was a, fun. and that's what a lot of the biographies stress. Yeah, it was fun. And, but the thing about Shelley Winters is I liked her more as a writer than as an actress. <laughs> because I both know. her books, she, she, she was a good actress. I yeah. love her in Night of the Hunter. Yes. Oh, and yeah. she talked about that in depth. Yeah. She talked about working with Lawton and how Lawton. Oh, was. she loved Charles Lawton. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people in Hollywood loved. Well, Lawton Charles was Lawton. her teacher yeah, at one point. That's right. But uh, so you with the like the, with the Shelley Winters books, and they're both still in print. And unfortunately, she did. She was going to write a third one because it only went up to 1972. Oh, to Poseidon Adventure. Yeah, that yes. was how she ended the second <laughs> one. But. Um, um, it's got to be. They're both still in print, and if you're going to read any autobiography of any actor, because most of them you come away with thinking, eh, like Catherine Hepburn or Davis or Olivier's, you come, or Brando's, you just come away with. Oh, the Brando autobiography is not, it's really not no, very good. It's no, disappointing. None, most of them aren't. You were talking about Simone Signore. That yes. one is very good. Yeah. Nostalgia isn't yes. what it used to be. Well, it's a great said. title, I mean. That is a good ha, ha, But um, have you read Fun in a Chinese Laundry? Von Sternberg's no. autobiography. Oh. That is the one great director autobiography that's, that I have ever found. Fun in a Chinese Laundry by Joseph Von Sternberg. Because it's a combination of what he was trying to do. To, and his Dietrich films in the early 30s were just stunning. Yeah. Watch Scarlet Empress, everybody, yeah. please. Uh, just completely out of this world. I mean, but it's a mix of that and gossip and Hollywood. When does, and, it, when does it go? What does it go up to? Uh, I think it goes up to. I mean, he stopped making. I think his last film was Jet Pilot, which was in the yeah, mid fifties. I, I think you're right. You know what I just saw? I just saw Anatahan, the Sternberg's second to last film, the one that was made for about a dollar ninety nine about the Japanese soldier on the island who doesn't know the oh, war is yes, over. Oh yes, 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 yes. Wow, is that an interesting and abstract film? I mean, it's just the opposite of Scarlet. But how did you see it? Um, I have it. I got it on DVD. Oh, you have it. Okay. Yes. Um, so, um, other genre. We were talking about genre studies. Um, I have to, you know, Eisner's, as I said, Haunted Screen is the go-to on. But there is another one, and that, of course, is Siegfried Krakauer's From Caligari to Hitler. Mm-hmm. Have you guys? Have oh you guys yes. Heard of oh it? my God, because. You know, what it does is take the films of Lang and Murnau and Vina and, and all those and all those other directors and shows how characters like um, uh, like Caligari, like Dr. Mabusa in uh, Lang's series, all these manipulative hypnotist types who turn decent people into evil. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're at 1933 and, you know, Hitler takes power. And you're like, oh my God, you can see the rise of German fascism yes. in the expressionist films. Oh, right? Yeah. You know, think of, think of the marching blocks of workers in Metropolis. Oh, Metrop- or, Metropolis or, is brilliant. Metropolis is almost, 
it's almost like the rise of Nazism condensed into a movie. Boom. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's scary in a way. So that's and a movie. see that on a big screen. I saw that at the Ziegfeld. Yeah. No, that's a great movie. If you are interested at all in, in German history from that period or any German expressionism film, which are, if you're a film fan, you have to be, again, that Siegfried Krakauer's From Caligari to Hitler. I also got to throw in uh, Midnight Movies, Hoberman's book. You know, Jay Hoberman over, that was yes. overplayed, always played second fiddle to Saris at The Voice when, you know, yeah. in their well, heyday. They would, argue, yeah. they would argue sometimes. But, yeah, but Hober, Hoberman, but that's a after Saris retired, Hoberman was the first strip. And that's a, that is a wonderful yeah. book. And it's the first book that really, you know, starting with films like El Topo and the other Hodorowsky <laughs> films of the early... You know, of the early, and then into John Waters, and then into Eraserhead and Rocky Horror, and those great uh, cult films, the Midnight Movies. Of you know the what 70s. I really miss about the Village Voice was when Cyrus would do. I would look at the every week. Would look at all the the, um, the TV listings that they would have, and mm -hmm. he would do a, like a short capsule of each movie. And it's like, well, I want to watch that one. I want to watch that. Nah, I'm not going to miss that one. Andrew says, don't watch that one. Oh, <laughs> they, but they were they were brilliant. Yeah, I. I just, I mean, the Village Voice. Grow. If you were a New Yorker in the '70s and '80s, that was your life. But it came out what on Wednesday? Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, Wednesday. And if you wanted to get tickets to a concert or rent an apartment or figure out what to watch, or you you waited till eleven o'clock the night before, and the deliveries yeah. came to the, and you get yeah. it, and it was free, and it was amazing. I mean, Chris Gow on music and Richard yeah. Goldstein, all these amazing writers, and Nat Hentoff and Wayne yep. Barrett doing their political stuff. God, I'm, okay, I hate to uh, nostalgia isn't Talk what it used to be. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that, I, I do miss the voice, but there's yeah. nothing quite like that. There's great writing out there. It's so diffuse though because it's online you have to really dig to find it all right so uh t category five films that cover uh, books that cover a particular era or year oh. so um you want to start with mark harris oh yeah mark, i yeah. mean everybody interested who's listening to this should read this book um the uh, pictures at a revolution five movies and the birth of the new hollywood and goes into depth over the five movies nominated for Academy for the Academy Award for Best Picture of that year, and two of them were considered groundbreaking radical movies, Bonnie and Clyde and The Graduate. Two of them are more on the conservative side. Guess who's coming to dinner? And Doctor Doolittle, who they were blunt about it, had no business even being nominated. And then the one that was sort of in between was In the Heat of the Night. But it's not a book. When I picked up the book initially, I thought, well, I'm going to just skip the parts about Dr. Doolittle. Who cares? And they turned out to be the funniest parts of the book. What a, what a yeah. disaster. Yeah, I wouldn't, I was going to say, I wouldn't call, guess there's so many conservatives, it's old-fashioned. Old-fashioned. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. more, well, it's, it's more, worse because it's, it's old-fashioned, but it pats itself on the back. It, yeah, that's, a good, that's yeah. a good way to put Stanley it. Stanley Kramer. A, that's a very yeah. good it way does, to put it. It does, although there was controversy when that came out. Oh, I know. As it, as I know. In the South, you know, believe it or not. You know. yeah. Well, thank God we've gotten past racism in yeah. this country. <laughs> oh, well, well, yeah. That problem's awesome. Okay, but, what do we got next? Mitty's Peace? What else? Really, really read that oh, book. The environment. Because I actually reread parts of it just for this podcast. Um, he writes so beautifully. He's such a good writer. Right? God, yeah, he's such yeah, a good writer. That, 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 uh, that is a great book because yeah. it's at once entertaining mm -hmm. and informative and, and in-depth. Well, that's how I felt about the one I just finished, about uh, Mike Nichols. Because yeah, so I'm not a huge Mike Nichols fanatic. Yeah. I'm not. I mean, he's made some good movies, he made some really bad movies. Mm -hmm. But just because he wrote it, I picked it up. 
right. and you know. Yeah, so if there's a, na- a contemporary name to take away from this, it's definitely Mark Harris yeah. with Five Came Back, Pictures of the Revolution, it's and the Mike all, Nichols that's book. That's it. Those yeah. are the only three books he's written. He is married to uh, Tony Kushner. Kushner. Right. Yep. That's right. That's a, that's a power couple. Oh, yeah. yep. interesting. Yeah. Mike Nichols and Diane Sawyer were at his wedding. And Diana, Diane Sawyer was um, the one person who, who did not talk to him. Of, uh, interesting. She, she did not want to, and he respected that. Okay. Um, well, if we're going to talk about particular easy riders, raging bulls. Peter, Peter Biskin. Biskin, and then I, oh, great book. Yep, it is the best book about new Holly, new wave Hollywood yes. ever. Easily. Yeah. Yeah. Have you read the other one, Down and Dirty Pictures? I have not. Down and Dirty Pictures is a bit the same idea, but it's about from sexualizing videotape through Pulp Fiction. It's about oh. the sort of rise of. Miramax is yeah. at the heart of it, and Tarantino yeah. and Soderbergh and those directors of quote-unquote indie film from 89 mm. to mid-90s when Miramax got bought up by Disney and all the yeah. little studios got bought up by the big ones, mm. and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, but so but Easy Riders Raging Bulls is a flipping masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's great. Great, great book. Um, I did one of my, for my virtual film society, we did New Hollywood, and I was referencing that book all the time. It's so good. I also want to mention um, three, I'm a silent film freak, you know, so the three top books on silent film, if that's your thing, Kevin Brownlow's The Parade's Gone By, British Critic, it's a classic. Um, the one that was actually written in 1926, the first really great book about film called A Million and One Nights by Terry Ramsey, also a British critic. And William Everson's uh, American Silent Film. Also, guys, have you read Thomas Doherty's Pre-Code Hollywood? No. There, it's it's not amazing, but it is probably the best book I've read about 1929 to 34, to that period where just about anything goes. Yeah. And yeah. before the Hayes Code came in, and yeah. there was some weird, wild stuff going on. Oh my on. God! Mm-hmm. I was watching uh, on Turner a couple nights ago. Love Me Tonight which is 1932 musical, and they had some lines in there. I mean, Myrna Loy played a, played a slut. <laughs> well, how about Babyface? Yeah, it's another one. I mean, you know, who yeah. makes... But I, I, I forget about the pre-code. It's like, oh my God, yeah. how did they get away with this? Thing? Yeah, no, and well, King... Yes, because they were allowed to. Yeah, <laughs> and King Kong, you know, scratching oh, yeah, the his dress oh, yeah, and then, then sniffing it, his finger. Yeah. Like, what? Who yeah. had they do this in 1933? Oh, yeah. yeah, and there's a snippet where you see her nude in the water. Oh, and then, God, right? Yeah, and, then they, and, also, and then they edited it for TV, and people... Never knew that any of that stuff was in there. Yeah. And also, who was it in Tarzan and his mate? Was it Maureen? Maureen, Maureen, Maureen O'Sullivan. Maureen yeah. O'Sullivan, yeah, yeah, who was actually sort of nude in that one scene there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, and, yeah. Yeah, she was, yeah, she was very And beautiful. freaks and got made in the Island of Lost Souls, which is just so disturbing, Ooh. got made. Um, it's even more disturbing than the Island of Dr. Moreau remake with uh, Marlon Brando and. Oh, wow. uh, we, and I'm most not dangerous sure which game. is more disturbing in that movie, yes. Brando's weight or Val Kilmer's Oh my god, what's that little set? thing following him around? I have no idea what it is. But Island of Lost Souls, the original adaptation of H.G. Wells' is, uh, The Island of Dr. Moreau. Now, if we're talking about film of a particular era or year, there are two books I want to bring up. Go. One of them, if you've been watching Turner Classic Movies lately, it's because it's uh, on their podcast. Uh, Julie Solomon's The Devil's Candy, which mm. is the anatomy of a Hollywood fiasco. The Bonfire of the Bandits. Right. Oh, right. right. And now, I haven't been listening to the podcast because apparently she's, I guess it's her and De Palma. 
But I, I don't know if it's with all, uh, in, in the cast. Yeah, I don't, I think I don't the cast, know. I haven't listened to them yet. I haven't I've either. heard good things about it. But, well, I read the book, so I didn't feel but like... But apparently I she was pretty much on set. Yes, because yeah. uh, the Palmer wanted her on set. She was a writer from the um, uh, Wall Street Journal, and she was on the set the entire time because... Uh, because uh, De Palma thought this was going to be the great film that it was, that it wasn't. I mean, uh, I love the book. I love the book too. Frankly, for me, the minute I heard about the casting, I thought Tom Hanks. Yeah, I thought Crispin, Bruce Willis. Yeah, yeah. no, uh, something is really yeah. off here. Yeah. So I kind of predicted the fiasco because. Uh, well, not only that, but um, whether or not you like De Palma, he just—he's just the wrong director for yeah. that. I don't know why yeah. why the, why he got involved with that. But so, what is De Palma the right director for? If you're ripping off Hitchcock, or well, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> or Antonioni, okay. or <laughs> here, believe it or not, because you know my hatred of Tom Cruise, the first Mission Impossible is not bad. Is not bad. Oh yeah, it's fun. Yeah. And, he and, directed I, and, it. I, and I admit to I, I happen to like The Untouchables. I think I love it's a very, I love I think it's a very entertaining movie. I like Carrie. Well, and I like Dress to Kill a little bit. I you like Dress to Kill? I did not. I did. Oh! That actually, that I'm getting is the shunned. One, that is, that is, that's the one De Palma movie I really hate. Well, the, one I, the only movie I've ever walked out on in my life was Body Double. Because I sat there oh, going I, rear window vertigo, rear window vertigo, and yeah, then you well, get the shot where there's yeah. a murder with the, with the pneumatic drill, yeah. and it's shot from behind the guy, so it looks, like, looks phallic, and I'm like... Okay, I'm nobody's feminist, but you're a sick bastard, Brian Palma. I'm out. When I like Blowout too. I didn't care for that. I I didn't. I like some things in it. Um, I particularly like the part when he's putting the stills together to make a make a film. The Antonioni part, yeah. Yeah, I think I re I actually really enjoy that part. Nancy Allen, I think, really kind of ruins. I know movies. she's not great. She's a terrible actor. She really is. She's but, even bad. But Robocop. you know, but there's there are a lot of people who think very highly of that movie. I suppose Paul and Kale loved all of his films. I think the the war movie that everybody loved, Casualties of War. war. I didn't get it. No, I thought it was Ooh, Michael J. Fox was miscast. It wasn't. Was it wasn't Platoon yeah, or, or Full Metal Jacket. Uh, that's for sure. And it came out around the same and time. And when you were talking about Dress to Kill, when I saw that, I hadn't seen Vertigo. And the one thing I was taken in. Well, obsession is what you're obsession, talking about. Obsession, yeah, and. No, no, no. I'm talking about, well, Obsession too, but I'm yeah. talking about the... He always uh, rips Hitchcock. When he's watched, oh, the, the, the museum. Museum. I was fascinated by that scene until I realized it's a total rip-off. It's such a fine line between homage and rip-off. That was rip-off. <laughs> and if I, had seen, if I had seen Vertigo before that, I would have probably walked out of Dress to Kill. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, did you guys like Body Double? No. Oh, no. God. It was appalling. The only other no. What's what's really kind of weird is we've seen all these movies, but we. <laughs> I I why do we keep going back? Because of my <laughs> admiration of Pauline Kale, I said, "Well, maybe I'm missing something." I right. kept going, and no. And for me, it was it was Jerry Mass, my professor at Chicago, who I mentioned, and we would argue endlessly about. I would, t you know, Scorsese versus De Palma, and he would take the De Palma side, and I would take the Scorsese side. And you know, history has proven me right. But you know, I, I respected him so much that I was like, "Oh, exactly, Mike. That I must be missing something." Here. Yeah. So I want to bring up another book. It's actually one of my favorite recent books, and this is about film, and it deals with a movie that I refuse to see, Coming to America. I like Coming to America. I, I refuse to see it 
Not because of what it's about, but you know, you know the story behind it. About okay, the making of the, the movie? Ti- the title of the book is Fatal Subtraction. Oh. The inside story of Buckwald versus Oh, right, the Buckwald thing. This yeah, is a yeah, fascinating yeah. book. And for people who he don't... He wrote the screenplay or he had the written idea? the original treatment. Right. And he had submitted it uh, to Paramount like five years before the film got made. The film was made, of course. Nobody, uh, Buckwald's name was not on it. He never received a dime. And he sued. And in most cases, and this happens a lot in Hollywood, you know... The studio will just outlast the sewer, or, or the settle, sewer, or set. Well, they won't even settle. They'll settle for a few cents, or they'll say you'll never work in this town again. You couldn't do that with Buckwall, <laughs> because with Buckwall he was, you know, millionaire many times over. For people who don't know who Art Buckwall was, he was a political satirist and columnist, worked for the Washington Post, and he's a very very funny man, and so. The judge, in the case, ruled in favor of Buckwald, and they said, you are entitled to a certain percentage of the profits. And that's when Paramount came up with their creative accounting, oh, saying right. that despite the fact that it grossed $285 million domestically in 1988 or Eight. 89, yeah. there were no profits. <laughs> oh, and man. that was where the title came, of course. Buckwald appealed, and the studios finally settled for I think nine hundred thousand because they didn't want. Yeah. <laughs> what was oh what that remind what was the book? It was um, Stephen Bach, the book he wrote about Heaven's Gate. Oh Game. God, that's a very final good book cut. Too. Yes. Uh, oh my God. About David Bailman and yes. and, and the forty five million dollars yes. spent on Heaven's Gate oh and how God, that that's an excellent that movie. destroyed United yes. Artists. Yes. Yeah, so if you're interested in the business of Hollywood, yes, those are two I really am. good. Yeah. I. I, I the, the last one I meant, want to mention in terms of period is when we've talked about, because we our third episode, way back in 2018, we did on 1990, whatever happened to the generation of 99. And um, Brian Raftery wrote a book called 90, 1999 Best Movie Year Ever. And there, it's, it's a little obvious, but there are a lot of, he writes really well about the great films of that year, Magnolia and the, you know, and the Matrix and so many, and Election and so many other great mm-hmm. films that came out that year and how that generation has sort of not. Well, we did a whole could, Right, we uh, just said that, yeah. that's right. So episode you three, check it out. Me. I know you know. <laughs> you know, loosen the leash a little I'm bit. I'm just you reading need more <laughs> I'm just reading your list. Oh, man. All right, it's getting kinky over here. And, and finally, we come to our last uh, category, biographies and memoirs. And I mentioned von Sternberg's um, Fun in a Chinese Laundry, which, as I said, is probably the best autobiography by a director that I've ever read. But there aren't too many good ones. I want to mention, and this is semi-gossipy, but it's also a book about um, women and producing and it's been called The Longest Suicide Note Ever Written. Julia Phillips, You'll Never Eat Lunch. Oh, in yeah. oh yeah. yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 She was, she won the Oscar with Sting. The, uh, for The Sting, yeah. and she also produced um, Close Encounters of the Third Taxi Kind Driver. and Taxi Driver, right. and then she went downhill and wrote this book, and apparently there were restaurants in Hollywood that banned her after that. That's, wow. 
Oh, after the book. After the book came oh. out. And she died relatively young at 57. She That's had right. major drug problems. Yeah. It's a fascinating book. And that reminds me of Evans's uh, The Kid Stays yes. in the Picture. Yes. Which is also kind of fundamental because yes. Evans is such a character. Yes. I mean, and if you give him, you know, he took all the credit for Paramount's huge successes in the 70s. Oh, yeah. I don't know if he deserved it or not. Well, he's but still Including <laughs> The Godfather. He went on and on and on about it. Was, he was the reason that The Godfather was a great movie and, and kept and sex, taking credit for the way certain things were edited. And, and that, I mean, the man was crazy. The one, uh, yeah. the one that I, I thought was really nuts was um, him taking credit for the success of Harold and Maude. A picture Paramount buried. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well... And well, speaking of Robert Evans, I'm just finishing this uh, book. Ah, The Big Goodbye. Yes, yep. by Sam Lawson. It's oh, it's out in paperback yes. now. Good. I was Chinatown for it. and the Last Years of Hollywood. I'm just getting to where... I, I almost don't want to say too much about it because I want you guys to read it. But uh, he talks about the, main, the people behind the, su the success of Chinatown. And he focuses on uh, Robert Town. Sure. Jack Nicholson. Mm -hmm. Roman Polanski and Robert and Evans, and um, but there are so many changes from what uh, uh, Robert um, Town Town originally wrote that Polanski changed. Well, Polanski could have gotten a co. Uh, well, changed the ending, which is but not just the ending. Fairly not critical, just the ending. interesting. Not just the ending. He changed a lot, and when you think about it, Town really did get to write the the. Giddy's uh, movie that he wanted to, and it was a failure. The two Jakes. Oh my god! And, and wasn't Evans supposed to play one of the characters in the two Jakes? I don't. I haven't gotten yeah. to the two Evans Jakes. With, yet. Evans. They fancied Evans an actor, and and well, they he did, started out as an actor, right? Yeah. And, and they shot one day's worth of film, and Nicholson was like, "No, this is not going to work." And he didn't have barely had the heart to tell him, but yeah. But this is a. It's it's kind of written. It's not a straight biography. It's not even a scholarly per se, but everything you ever want to know about Chinatown. Well, and except for Kane, you know, in Kale's book, there you very rarely see great books about one film. Yeah. And I've, I cannot wait to read that. I was waiting for it to come out in paperback. So again, that's The Big Goodbye, Sam Lawson's book Sam about Chinatown, which uh, is, is joining the pantheon, I think. I'm going to throw in one, the one great book by one of our great screenwriters uh, about how horrifying the life of a screenwriter is in Hollywood, and that, of course, is William Goldman's adventures yes, in the screenplay. Yes, I have it trade. right here. Yep. Yeah. Uh, he has it in three st sections. Still, the best book about what it means to be a screenwriter yeah. in Hollywood. You know, the section one is Hollywood Realities, a collection of essays on various subjects from Hollywood stars and producers, and to write a screenplay. He did not like Robert Redford, oddly enough. Hmm. Um, uh, listen, this is Gold the man who wrote I, The Princess Bride, so he's God as far as I'm concerned. Uh, <laughs> and this was written before The Princess Bride. Yes. And then two adventures, his take on projects he had worked on until 1983. And then the third section, which I really found interesting, was Da Vinci, and shows the reader how to adapt something, and he adapts his own short story. Oh. So it's also a good uh, primer for uh, writing. And uh, he's also written my one of my favorite theater books. Oh. And that's from the 60s. I did not know that. What's the that? Season. It's Which called is about season. one year. It's and... about one season, huh. 1967 to 68. It's, 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 I, I think it's still in print. If it's not, it's, it's, anybody who listens to this, 
to this broadcast who's interested in theater should get that. Yeah, go on ABE Books. They have, yeah. you know, that you can find anything there. Actually, I like, the se- I like the season more than Adventures in the Screen Trick. Is there a good book about town? About Robert Town? Yeah, I've never I don't seen know. Like, I don't know. He never wrote any. an autobiography? No, or no. I'm I'm still just, alive. I don't know of any. Maybe after he dies. I, that I would love to see. John, anything else I, I, on uh, on the biography uh, autobiography note? Well, the Sidney Lumet book is pretty good oh, as yeah. far as oh. covering almost all aspects of movie making. It's yeah. not, I mean, it's sort of a memoir, but it's not gossipy not, at not all. Not at all. It's basically, gives you a really good overview about how to make a movie. Oh, fantastic. Oh, I'm, yeah. I've never read it. I'm going to oh, totally oh, yeah. pick that up. Oh, yeah. Come when did that come out? Ooh, About 20. quite a while ago. Was it? I mean, he was still... Well, of course, he was directing till the end. Yeah. yeah, 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 he was. We mentioned him in our last episode, favorite last movies right. and directors before the devil. And I mean, and actually, uh, I mean, a great director with actors. Oh, yeah. Really, he really, really And was. he rehearsed. Yes, I was just going to say. One of the few directors who rehearsed. Yeah, he knew, I mean, he knew how to work with actors. He knew about acting. He was an actor himself. And, yeah. Right. And um, actually, some of the interviews with him are, are pretty good. We'll, we'll talk about it acting in general and certain yeah. actors and we'll stress about how you know some of the images we have of actors is just not wrong at all they're uh, most of them are very private shy people hmm. all right and uh vintage sand fans there you have it we have given you enough uh, you know we, we usually try to take you to school today we took you to the library and uh we hopefully have given you enough books uh to get you started and really i mean you know the best way to to learn film is to watch it, but also there's a ton to be learned from books by the people involved and by some of the smarter critics and writers who've written about it. So we hope that, uh, as I said at the beginning, that this has uh, opened some doors for you, uh, because we, you know, I think I can speak for Michael and John saying, you know, so much of our understanding of movies came from these books as well as our own observations. Yeah. I mean, you know, they taught us to see things in a different way. Yes, exactly. Yep. All right, so I, I believe our necrology this time is blessedly short. It is, surprisingly. Michael? Oh, Jackie Mason, comedian. He appeared in uh, The Stoolie, which he produced himself. No drama. Well, nobody saw it. <laughs> I lost a fortune. I opened the door. Turned the wheel. Nobody saw it. He also <laughs> appeared in Mel Brooks' History of the World Part 1 as Jew number one. That's right. In the Spanish, in the Inquisition number. I remember and that. And the jerk is the gas station owner who uh, hires Steve Martin. And on a personal level, I had to tell him to shut up. Well, not shut up. <laughs> to keep his voice down at a viewing of Find Me Guilty. The Sidney Lamette movie with Vin Diesel. I remember because it's the only Vin Diesel movie I've ever seen. He just wouldn't shut up. He just kept talking. I was like, should have said it in Hebrew. Should have said Sheket Bavakasha. He was sitting right behind me. And I just you know that. That's the only thing I know in Hebrew. But and I just turned around and I said, Would you please keep it down. And that's when I realized, oh, it's him. Okay, Vladimir Meshmov, the Russian film director. He won the Oscar in 1981 for what is considered by most Oscar followers and film historians as the worst movie ever to win the Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. Moscow does not believe in tears. Oh, right. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it is bad. It had lost to Francois Truffaut's The Last Metro and Akia Kurosawa's Kagamusha. 
Am I pronouncing that right? I don't mm-hmm. love Kagamusha, but, but it's, it's better, better than, than yeah. <laughs> it's better than most and guys. I actually rem- I remember staggering out of the theater. It's almost three hours long, and it's Vincent can be described it as saying giving this movie the Oscar was like giving the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction to Rona Jaffe. <laughs> maybe they felt maybe they felt bad about not giving Best Picture to Red, so they figured they'd make it up to the communist uh, nations. No, this, this was the year before. This was the year before. A lot of people thought it was a political thing because Reagan was just in the White House and they wanted to throw a bone to um, Russia. I don't know, but it's not. Not. I can't think of a movie that's one. Is there anything good you can say about him? Well, that's all I can say. <laughs> I don't think he ever had another movie that came to this country. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I mean, remind me not to have you do yeah, a eulogy. seriously. Don't watch my films if I ever make it. Okay, this is a happier eulogy. Okay. Jane Withers. <laughs> Good, I love happy eulogies. <laughs> I didn't know there was such so a thing. He's my favorite part of well. that. <laughs> okay. okay, so Jane Withers. Jane Withers. For people who don't know her, she was a child actress. Shirley Temple's competition, she, right? Well, they only made one film together, and that was in 1934, Bright Eyes. Apparently, Shirley Temple's mother was so worried about Withers that she wouldn't allow uh, Temple to even talk to her on set. Worried about her in what way? Competition. Competition. Oh, oh. Yeah. And in 1937, Jane Withers was named number six by... Uh, theater owners as the top box office star, which was odd because all of her films were uh, basically B-movies. Mm. But she usually her movies would end with her getting spanked because she was... So did mine. The antidote. <laughs> she... Well, it had to be said. It was just, just sitting there. <laughs> anyway, she was the, the antidote to Shirley Temple. She married in 1947, and she retired from acting, but then returned in 1956 to play the uh, owner, the uh, neighbor in Giant. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yes. And she also appeared in Captain Newman, M.D., and a lot of television. Oh, and she was also the voice of the uh, gargoyle in Disney's Hunchback, Hunchback. of Notre Dame, too. Right. She replaced Mary Wicks at the last minute, who died. And I remember her... and. This is one of the few Hitchcock uh, shows, the hour long, that I really remember liking as a kid. I don't, I don't think he directed it. That she did with Bob Newhart called How to Get Rid of Your Wife. Hmm. And it was very, I mean, I was like seven or eight, but I remember finding it very funny. But of course, Jane Withers is no, best known for Josephine the Plumber. Yes, Which right. she did for like 14 years yeah. in Comet. Comet commercials. Comet, that's right, in the 70s. Yes, yeah. yep. And uh, she died at 95. And our last is Patricia <coughs> Hitchcock O'Connell. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. The only child of Alfred Hitchcock. What I didn't know is that she appeared three times on Broadway as a teenager before making know. any Before movie. she went to yeah. Nevada. Yeah. Oh. Uh, they weren't plays I'd ever heard of. Um, but. She did work as a, well, as a kid. She's just, in, in, in Stage Fried Strangers and Psycho, she's just like pitch perfect. Right. She's absolutely perfect. And she also did uh, 10 uh, Alfred Hitchcock shows from 1955. Well, I didn't 19- know she did that many. She, she did, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, you're right. You're right. Actually, the the bit parts she has in the three movies, especially she's, she's Strangers, excellent. she's yeah. excellent. Oh yeah, I mean she's wonderful as uh, yeah, uh, sister. In 2003, she wrote with uh, Laurent Wurzerzo, Alma Hitchcock. Right. The woman behind the man that I think one of you read it? No, but I know no. Film Forum, you know, our beloved uh, revival theater here is doing the, the women in the uh, series. I saw, is... I saw a Vertigo last week, which was um, packed with people. I would hope so. Who didn't like it. What? No. No, no, no. Yeah, no, there no, are no. a lot of people who do not like Vertigo. Yeah. No. The, the friend I took did not like well, I mean, you know, I, last time I saw it in the theater, I mean, at the department store scene, people were squirming, you know, like... People were laughing with the scene between uh, Midge and the Doctor. People were laughing Whoa. at that scene. And it, there's nothing funny. Nothing about funny about that. Yeah. I don't so, think Mozart's going to cure him either. Yeah, which yeah. is a great line. Wow. Yeah. You know, the... Uh, wow, that's... Okay, but, well... But I, uh, besides my friend who I took who did not like it, I went into the men's room. And you heard people talking. Yeah, waiting in line, and people just did not. It's interesting because you know like this. Well, side. there are a lot of people who love Hitchcock who do not like Vertigo. Woody Allen yep. says in his uh, memoir he loves all of Hitchcock except for Vertigo. And you know, Sight and Sounds poll is coming out next year, the big yeah, one. I, and you I, know, I, Vertigo finally got past Kane as number one in 2012. I, 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 I don't think it's going to stay. I think it's going to stay. What are your? Have you ever shown it to your students? And what um, do they think? Yes, they like it. Okay. But I have to kind of talk them through it. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. Rear Window does much better. Oh, and well, Strangers Rear, on a Train does much better. Everybody loves Rear, Rear Window. Window's a little lighter. I mean, it's it's Rear Window is almost a comedy. It is. Yes. It's very witty. It's a it's a movie for everybody. Vertigo is not. I love it. Yeah. But I'm. But it's. I'm not saying. I I'm, I have no, to throw no, one no, more I, quick. Um, uh, Quick eulogy in here because I am an insane fan, and I assume many of our listeners are of the BBC uh, Sherlock with um, Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman. And Una Stubbs, the woman yes. who played Mrs. Hudson, passed away. And she's I, a, I wasn't familiar with her. Yeah, she's a character. She she, she, appear, she does a couple of movies, but nothing. But yeah, I just you know the 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 Sherlock episodes. There's only thirteen of them, and they're an hour and a half each. So they really are like little movies. Mm. And she's just priceless. So I, I she she is definitely going to be missed. And if you haven't caught that, um, it's my favorite rendition of Sherlock Holmes I've ever I've ever seen. Do you guys like it? Have you seen it? I've not seen it. Oh, it's John, have you? I haven't watched it, but I, I intend to because I always enjoyed the old Sherlock Holmes movies with Nigel Bruson as a reference. And these are so... I was in a Sherlock Holmes play where I played Inspector Lestrade, and it was not a great experience, so I've avoided... Oh. Well, all right, and... How uh, could it be a good experience playing Inspector Lestrade? You're the, the brunt of all the jokes. It, <laughs> wasn't, I, it wasn't the play, it was the people I, were, I was working with. Right, we're waiting for Mike's autobiography. We'll get all the dirt. Yeah, um, his memoir is going to be a juicy one. Exactly. <laughs> he gets spanked at the end, apparently. <laughs> no, I think he's going to do the spanking. Uh, there it is. All right. So, and uh, our, 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 the introduction of our new feature last time, John's quote, uh, which you should check out our website at www.vintagesand. Well, Please give the answer okay. now. The quote so was. So the quote was. I'd hate to take a bite out of you. You're a cookie full of arsenic. Is from Sweet Smell of Success, Burt Lancaster to Tony Curtis. Which 1957. Yeah, a 
great movie. If you haven't seen it, you must. Uh, directed James by Alexander. James, oh my God, the, the cinematography. New York City, black and white. is brilliant. On location, oh my God. Absolutely brilliant, yes. That's another thing, that aspect of the movie that's really so entertaining because you're seeing New York City in 1956, 57, and it's just, it's never looked more... Any, since you're quoting, you should mention the writers. Yes. Uh, Ernest Lehman was based on a so-called novelette by Ernest Lehman that oh. appeared in Cosmopolitan. Oh, okay. And so he was the main screenwriter, plus Clifford Odets and the director Alexander McKendrick also made contributions to it, but he was not credited. So, that happened a lot. Happens yes. A lot. Oh, sure. I mean, after, Hitchcock after, and Hawks were never credited as yeah. screenwriters well, after, in any of their movies, but they were involved. After reading the Big Goodbye about Chinatown, I, I just had no idea how much Polanski. Yeah. Yeah, it happens often. Yeah. All right, so, so for, the, for September, what is our next quote? I looked for you in my closet tonight. Oh, I know that one. If you've seen the movie, you know the quote. Unmistakable. Yes, you're right, Josh. Yes, I'm not, I'm not saying, but... Um, but I can tell you can't wait to tell someone. <laughs> <laughs> no. So again, if you know where that, uh, where that quote is from... Oh, my God. If you know where that quote is from... You know, check right in at uh, www.vintagesand.com. We also have all our, uh, links to all our old episodes and descriptions and links and other things for you to check out uh, to improve your knowledge of film. So, for our next episode in September, we will be uh, moving away. We've, we've been so director-centric, which a lot of film people are, you know, under the influence of Truffaut and Andrew Saris and critics like that. We're going to get towards actors. Yay. And we're going to, yes, the, I have two well, actors here. We've kind here. of avoided the subject also because it's so hard to narrow it down, right. favorites. So we are going to focus on some of our favorite male supporting performances. We haven't decided quite yet whether we're going to narrow down the time or uh, the country, but we will focus on our, we'll each choose maybe our five favorite supporting male performances that are overlooked or underappreciated. Didn't win the Academy Award. Didn't win the Oscar. Yes. Okay, yeah, absolutely. All right, so um, especially today where she totally saved our asses, we thank uh, Melissa for her technical help. Yes, Melissa. Uh, for our five nines and a four production, we want to thank Mama Sue for the use of the hall, Vincent Sand Studios North, um, Nord. Uh, we want to thank Gabby for the cool-ass logo. Uh, remember that we are also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud as well. Uh, please check out the website, as I said, answer John's quiz, and leave us your feedback. And as we wish you in all episodes and at all times, maybe your favorite films always be streaming.